Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello and welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're joined by Matthew A. Scogan, the 14th president of Hope College. He majored in political science and economics at Hope College and has a master's degree in public policy from the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. Scogan entered the presidency with a commitment to focus on three big issues, the future of higher education, the future of learning, and the future of work. Matthew Scogan has a diverse background working in government and business positions. Today, he sits down with us to discuss his very ambitious plan of introducing a tuition-free model to Hope College. If this is your first time listening to us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a podcast where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on issues at the intersection of education and culture. We appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to anchored at cltexam.com. Now, without any further ado, let's get on with the conversation. Welcome back to the Anchor Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test today. We are here today with the 14th president of Hope College, President Matthew Scogan. President Scogan, so good to be with you today. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. It's an honor to be with you. So I'd love to start off, uh, talk about your early education, uh, and then you went on to, to get an undergraduate degree uh, at Hope and then a graduate degree uh, at Harvard. But, but start off telling us a little bit about your early days. Did you love learning uh, as a young young boy? I did love learning. I actually grew up, both my parents uh, uh, were, were not necessarily uh, in education. My mom was. My mom, my mom was a middle school science teacher. Uh, my dad worked at a pharmaceutical company, but he had a PhD in chemistry. And so both my parents went not just to college, but also to graduate school. And so I grew up uh, in a family that had a very deep appreciation for education and for higher education in particular. So uh, yeah, I think I did, um, even through K through 12 years, had a had a very deep appreciation for education and the power of it. Fantastic. Uh, and then how did you decide on hope as a young man? Oh, great question. I mean, the decisions we make when we're 18. I think um, uh, it, it fit a couple of things. One is it was close to home, but not too close. So I grew up about an hour and a half from here. And so it was kind of uh, far enough away, but also close enough to, uh, to uh, my, uh, my parents and my siblings. Um, I was really, when I was at the point of making the college decision, I was debating between uh, big school and small school. And for me, it came down to University of Michigan and Hope. And um, I think for a number of reasons, Hope just felt like the right fit. Um, I loved the Christian mission aspect of hope, and I loved the idea of coming to a place where where uh, I'm known, and not just a number, but known by my professors. And and uh, as we like to talk about at Hope College, for us being known means a lot more than just uh, our professors knowing the names of our students. It means really knowing our students. And I got a, I just got the feeling, even as a high school student visiting Hope, that that was the case here, and it still very much is. Fantastic. So from undergraduate uh, at Hope to then doing graduate work uh, at Harvard, uh, what was your time at Harvard like? Uh, and, and when did you start to get interested in uh, education administration? And uh, I, I had a great time at Harvard. I went to the Kennedy School of Government. So uh, at Hope as an undergrad, I majored in, in political science and economics. 
Um, I did one year, uh, sort of a, a gap year, if you will. I'd been admitted to Harvard, but I decided to defer it for a year. And I worked in the in the, the Michigan state government for a year uh, and then went to, um, I got married that year also and and sort of have, was figuring out some some personal things in my life and then moved to, uh, to Cambridge, Massachusetts with my wife uh, a year after graduating from Hope um, and studied public policy at the Kennedy School of Government. And my uh, concentration was around um, economic development. Fantastic. Uh, and then did, did you ever see yourself coming back uh, to Hope as president? Tell us how, uh, how this happened. Uh, uh, so the, the short answer is no. Never in my wildest imaginations did I ever anticipate coming back to Hope. Um, that's sort of how God works, right, is, uh, is he has a, a destination in mind and he was preparing me for it. I just never knew. Um, I, um, I spent the first half of my career in government. I actually thought I would spend my whole career in government. I love public policy. I love the idea of taking a a really complicated public policy question with stakeholders on lots of sides and trying to distill it and simplify it into, into a problem that's solvable. And so I just loved the intellectual puzzles that are involved with public policy. And so I ran toward that for the first season of my career, uh, did two stints in Washington, D.C., one in the White House and one at the Treasury Department, uh, and in between worked for the governor of Massachusetts. Uh, and that was kind of the first half of my career. And then the first big career pivot I made was from the, the public sector to the private sector. Uh, and I went to work for a bank in 2008 uh, and, um, and spent um, uh, to about 11 or 12 years in the, uh, in the financial industry, most of that time at the New York Stock Exchange, uh, and then some of that time uh, in the, the later years at a, uh, at a boutique investment bank. Uh, and it just, to the, the, it, it turned out, um, I was on the board of Hope for a couple of years, and then the previous president left Hope to go to another school. And through a combination of other people speaking to me and sort of encouraging me to apply, and um, not, not to sound too weird or spiritual, but me hearing from God directly, it just um, felt like the right thing to do to apply for the job. And I'd say for a while, I thought maybe I was applying just to shape the conversation. And then as I moved through the process, uh, I got more and more excited about this job and to be honest, couldn't imagine doing anything else. And that's exactly how I feel about it still today. Uh, and the most amazing thing of all is that not only did I apply, uh, but Hope decided to hire me. And I still wake up every day just feeling so honored and so excited that, um, that the college and the board has given me the responsibility and the amazing gift of, um, uh, of being able to serve a place that served me so well. CLT has some dear friends uh, at Hope College, and, and the enthusiasm uh, when you when you took the helm there was was just really really exciting. I don't I don't know if I've seen a faculty and administration so excited for a new incoming president. So uh, you are a well loved man there. Oh, uh, you're kind to say it. I, the the love is mutual. I love this place. I really love this place. I love the people here. And as I said, this place changed my life. And and so to come back and serve a place that had such a crucial role in my own life is just amazing. And I still, I'm so proud of Hope for having the guts to do something different. Uh, at the time, Hope named me president. I don't, this might still be the case. And to be honest, I've never fact-checked this. There's a, a woman at Harvard who told me this is the case. She told me that I was the youngest sitting college president in the United States. Uh, and I might still, at the time I was 39, I'm about to turn 42 on Monday. So that might still be the case. I have no idea. Uh, so there's a, like, there's a set of college presidents that are relatively young. There's another set of college presidents that are not um, academics. And if you do a Venn diagram, I don't know that there's anybody in the middle who would be in both categories and hope <laughs> have the guts to do something really, really different. And I'm incredibly proud of 
of this institution to say we're a we're a 160 year old place with a deep and rich history, and yet we're going to think about the future a little differently than we thought about the past. And it's cool. It's really been cool. That's awesome. Love that. That's awesome. So, President Skogan, you talk about having this, you know, wealth of experience in government and business, and then you come into Hope College and you're like the youngest sitting president, and you're bringing this very ambitious idea of a zero tuition model. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about that and why you believe that was so crucial at this time uh, at Hope College and universities in general? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. I love talking about this. I, so I came in, obviously, most of my career was working in and around finance. So I came into uh, this position uh, and at the very beginning, starting to take a hard look at the financial model of higher education. And um, I, I think uh, I and basically everybody else in higher education would admit two things about, about uh, college these days. One is that it's never been more important, and that's uh, continued, uh, that's, that's reinforced every day in all kinds of research that the importance of a college education um, has never been higher. And yet at the same time, it's also never been more expensive. It's never been more cost prohibitive. And so mm -hmm. I came in thinking, what can we do about that? Uh, that um, uh, conundrum that on one hand, it's never been more important. On the other hand, it's never been more cost prohibitive. And so we started to just sort of think totally differently about the funding model. And we started with the premise of what would, what would it look like or what could it look like if we uh, were no longer dependent on tuition at all? Uh, what mm -hmm. might it look like if we could fund our Christian college the way churches are funded? No one pays an admittance fee to go to church. You fund a church through gifts. And could it be the case that we could uh, find a, a, a more biblical uh, uh, financial model for our college? And we landed on what we're calling Hope Forward. It's essentially a pay it forward model. Uh, and the way, it, uh, the way it will work is that students will come to Hope and their education will be funded up front. Uh, we will do that through, in, through the endowment. And then our students who come to Hope will make a commitment and we're asking them to sign a covenant uh, they'll make a commitment to give something uh, philanthropically to hope every year uh, for the rest of their lives after they graduate. And what they're doing then is they're not paying for their own education because theirs was pay paid for, but rather out of out of gratitude and generosity, they're paying it forward, uh, investing in the generations of students who come behind them. Wow. And then in an interview I was reading and you, you said, you know, we choose this not because it is easy. We choose this because it is hard. You were talking about the, the zero tuition model and incorporating that. Um, into Hope College. So what were like some challenges you faced or pushbacks you received uh, while you were pursuing this? Well, we're still pursuing it. So we're at the start of what will be a long journey. We've announced a pilot group of, of uh, students who will be on this model in the fall. We're starting with 22 students. Uh, our ambition is to eventually have the whole college on this funding model, but we need to raise a lot of money to get there. So in some ways, the real challenges are, are still in front of us. Um, I, I think as you noted, um, we do believe that uh, this is a big challenge and big challenges require big, bold responses. And uh, for us as a Christian institution, we believe in a big God. And so we and it also happens to be the case that our name is hope. Uh, it's not settle. Uh, it's not try to muddle through. Our name is hope. And so we said, what if we could be a place that that reinvigorates some hope into higher education? Mm. And uh, so that's why uh, we kind of came into this with the premise of thinking big. Um, we need to raise over a billion dollars in our endowment to pull this off, to make this fully fundable for all of our students. 
so far, we've raised about 31 million. So we we have some points on the board, but we have a long, long way to go. And mm. um, and in launching this last month, really, that's the start of, uh, of what will be a long journey. We're excited about the journey. Um, I, I happen to think, and this might sound counterintuitive, but I happen to think that raising a big amount of money for a big vision is actually going to be easier than raising a small amount of money for a small vision. Uh, because people like stuff that is transformative and people will have a heart tug towards something that uh, that can truly change uh, higher education in a positive way. And so that's what we're that's what we're going for here. Mm. Now, Pre- President Skogan, something I've been just kind of mulling over, you know, there's been this huge drop off uh, in, in humanity, humanities majors, uh, history in particular, CLT, of course, we we love the humanities. You know, we want to put students in front of uh, texts that are, are worthy of their time and attention when they test with us. Um, is is the decline in, in history majors and humanities in general, is it connected to the cost of college that parents, students want to make sure they're they're going to get an ROI? Uh, can you speak to that? It, 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 Jeremy, it's a really perceptive question. Um, I can't answer that question with data, but I can say anecdotally that, that, that I think the answer is yes. And what we're seeing, I would broaden it even beyond humanities. What we're seeing is that uh, students graduating with debt is skewing the kind of things that students want to do. And mm. I have a series of questions that I always ask students. There's three or four questions that I that I always ask. And I like to ask the same question worded the same way so that I can get a compare and contrast. And one of the questions I always ask is, what do you want to do after you graduate? And I phrase it that way, what do you want to do? And the response I often get is some flavor of an answer that's, well, what I want to do is different from what I feel like I have to do. And they'll say, what I want to do is uh, work for some ministry or do Doctors Without Borders or Teach for America mm-hmm. or uh, the Peace Corps or something that's high impact. Uh, but they'll say, I'm graduating with $50,000 of debt. And so I have to do something that will pay off that debt. So I'm going to become a consultant for a while. And then uh, after I paid off my, my debt, then I'll pursue the kind of impact that I want to have. So in essence, the high sticker price of tuition is leading to graduates who have a heavy burden of debt. And that is skewing the kind of things students are doing. And um, uh, I, I suspect you're exactly right that it is then therefore skewing the kind of things students are pursuing while they're studying in college. Um, so it's a, it's a really interesting and insightful question. Um, I think it's something that's worth uh, us looking into more, but my, my uh, anecdotal answer would be, uh, would be a definitive yes. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. As a university student, I I feel like people pick their their majors now based on what is going to give them the most, I guess, return on that investment. So for them, going into university is now an investment. It's not just an experience of education and, and love for learning, right? It's, it's I'm going to go in here and I need to pick a degree that's going to get me a high paying job uh, so that I can actually get a good return on that. And so that's it's it's really um it's disappointing. And, and obviously this, this model of bringing zero tuition, even in other universities will be a very, very amazing thing. Um, but switching gears here, I wanted to go back to the fact that you have this, all this experience um, that doesn't necessarily have to do with education. And I wanted to ask you, how do you believe that having people who are not from an academic background in academia can actually help us gain a wider perspective on how the world of education can be reformed. Uh, two, yeah, you made two really interesting uh, points there, Aruba. I, I love your point. 
I think the overall thing you're you're observing is that higher education has become too transactional and students come here and they're essentially looking to just get a job and they're paying a lot of money to just get a job. And part of what we're saying with Hope Forward is let's make it less transactional. Let's actually make this a learning community. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that Oxford was a society for the pursuit of learning. And we want to think of ourselves that way, not a transactional place, not a place where students are coming just to get a job, but a, a learning community. And for us, that means students aren't employees. They're stu- sorry, students aren't customers. They're mm-hmm. students. And it means faculty aren't employees. They're faculty who are coming here to be part of this community of learning. And it's a totally different way of thinking of ourselves. We're not a business. Students are not customers. They're students. Yeah. So I love your observation. In terms of your question about uh, perspectives from outside of higher education, I, 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 it works for Hope. It works really well here. I can't say that it would work everywhere. Um, my take is that Hope College came to the conclusion that we have 274 amazing professors here, and Hope didn't necessarily need another great professor in the president's office. But rather, what makes sense here is somebody who's called to do the things that our professors are not called to do. Our professors are called to teach and think about the academic uh, programming and the curricular aspects of the college and do research and do that really well. And I feel like I'm called to set a vision and do fundraising and run the operations with excellence. And so for us, it's it's actually a magical partnership. And one of the things I said to the faculty at the very beginning of my tenure here is I said, the, the good news is you will have more academic freedom than you've ever had before. Because I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And when the faculty is going through a revision of the English department curriculum, I'm not going to get in the middle of that. I'm not going to be looking over your shoulder. You're called to do that. And I'm called to do um, the vision setting and the fundraising and the operations. So for us, it works really well. I can't say that it's a perfect model that would work uh, at, at other places. I think other places have to figure out what works what works for their own uh, for their own community. But here it's been it's just been a magical partnership. And um I've, I love my life. I love my job and I love my life. <laughs> you know, th- this was big news uh, when it, when it came out at Inside Higher Ed. And I think just a week or two before I, I actually had lunch at Hope with, with, with Andrew and Bill and, and Greg and some of the great admissions folks that you have. But I, I got my, you know, phone was blowing up, people texting it to me like, did you know about this? Like this could, could have big, big impacts outside of Hope uh, as well. Um, are, are you optimistic that this could maybe create a, a new model that other colleges and universities will try to emulate? You talk about Hope Forward? Yeah. I think so. Again, I think Hope Forward works really well for us. It's really closely connected to our mission. Um, it's, it's, it's putting our entire mission, it's putting our entire uh, financial model, rather, around what the Bible says about giving and generosity. So I think it works really well here. I can't say that it would work great everywhere. I do think it could work at a lot of places. Um, but one thing that we've said internally is like somebody has to give it a shot first. And we're excited about being the uh, the innovator, the leader that's going to give it a shot first. And look, we're, we're a learning institution. We exist to learn. And so I, I think uh, we ought to be OK to try things and then admit that they didn't work. And I, I'm OK with that, too. If we step into this and it just feels like it's not working the way we thought it would, we can adjust along the way. And that will then allow others to learn from us. Um, I'll say that every indication we've had, and again, it's still early, is that this is going to work really well. And in fact, in in many ways, probably work better than we even imagine it today. Um, So yeah, I think, think, Jeremy, the answer is yes, I do think this could work at a lot of places, but somebody has to be brave enough to try it first. And we're excited to be be that place that's going to try it first. 
Um, you know, in, in a few minutes, we'll, we'll conclude and, and, and ask you about your favorite book, the book that's kind of been most formative on, on you. But I, I got to ask first, you know, we I, I'm convinced right now that the, the role of college president, it, it kind of requires this renaissance, you know, man or, or woman, because uh, you've got to have marketing chops and fundraising chops and academics. And there's a whole host of areas. Do, do you find right now in your current role going into your third year uh, as college president, are, are you able to, to unplug and to just kind of delve into a book? Is that a discipline you've been able to maintain? Um, somewhat. I, I will say I, I don't give myself very high marks for that. I wish I, <laughs> I wish I was better at carving out time to read and think and just create white space for me. Um, the, the, these jobs are all consuming, as you know, and, and I think it's easy to just let it suck up every minute of the day. And, and, uh, so I do, I do an okay job, but I wouldn't give myself a really high grade for, for creating enough space for that. Uh, summer's nice cause it's a different rhythm. We've kept pretty busy this summer cause, because we launched hope forward. Uh, but, um, nevertheless, uh, yeah, I think, um, uh, we're, uh, we're an academic institution. And so we all ought to be uh, reading and thinking a lot. And, um, and I do some of that, but it could give myself more space before. Um, this is a question we always end with, and we get a lot of great feedback about this. So wondering if there, if there's a book, a, a, a single text, maybe that's been most influential, maybe it's a book you come back to and reread every couple of years, uh, that you would maybe most recommend to our audience. Uh, well, I mean, I think the real answer, and this sounds so pious, the real answer is the Bible. Um, and obviously we're a Christian institution, yeah. so that's sort of the right answer. But for me personally, it is the answer. It's a book I come back to every single day, and it's the most formative book of my life by far. Um, I would say beyond that, um, there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell called David and Goliath that I've read a few times. And the whole the premise of the book is that uh, the underdog can actually have the advantage if he or she views it the right way. And um, I, I actually think um, that's been really formative for me and my career. And in some ways, like uh, an out of the box college president coming in, I think in a lot of ways, uh, one might view Hope College as an underdog. And I think part of why we feel uh, emboldened to do something really big is we do feel like, just as in the story of David and Goliath, um, the underdog has a lot of opportunities. And uh, whereas um, a more established uh, elite school kind of has to defend their establishment and defend their elite status. And we don't have to do that. We can try new things. We can innovate and do different things. And so um, I would say uh, that that book, the Malcolm Gladwell book, and uh, that sentiment has been pretty formative for me. Fantastic. Well, this has been great. Uh, again, we're here again with President Matthew Scogan, uh, 14th president of Hope College. And you know, President Scogan, Hope College has become increasingly popular uh, with CLT test takers. I've been on campus twice now. It's a beautiful town and it's a, it's a beautiful campus. So uh, if you are listening to this and you are and you get up to Michigan, definitely visit Hope College. We'd love to have you. I'd, I'd hope to meet you if you come visit. We do have a beautiful town. We have four distinct seasons here. So that's great. The winters are cold. The summers are hot. And in between, <laughs> uh, it's pretty nice in the fall and spring. Uh, and, um, and it's great. There's a lot of, uh, our students are coming in 10 days. Some of them are here already and there's really good energy and we're excited to have, uh, to have a great year. That's great. President Skogan, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Ruba. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.